Hi everybody, after a really long break, I think my last episode was in February, I'm finally back online with uh, super awesome UXers, uh, Doc Collins and Pavel Samsonov, and uh, today we want to talk about uh, a topic that is uh, very close to me because I work as a product owner and I work with uh, uh, multiple UX people and the UX team as well. And I'm experiencing, you know, not, not really issues, but, you know, some dynamics that I want to um, discuss with uh, um, Pavel and Doug, how they are, uh, how their work with the product owners and with the business uh, in general is uh, progressing. Uh, so, uh, Pavel, Doug, uh, thank you so much for joining. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, the chance to be on. And uh, Pavel, this is the first time I've had a chance to actually talk with you. So uh, good to talk to you as well. Likewise. I mean, uh, I feel like we've interacted a lot over UX chat, hashtag UX chat, but not really so much in person. Also, the the horrible interfaces that you post are uh, <laughs> very entertaining. Well, I have to be useful somehow, so I think <laughs> that's about the best I can do right now. You know, it's, it, it seems like every time I talk with you, it's uh, I'm always reminded of how much I don't know, um, and it seems like whenever there's a, a question out there to be be asked and answered, the answer you give is uh, the one that I go, of course that's right. So <laughs> it's a it's a great to get a chance to talk with someone that I consider to be uh, tremendously knowledgeable and look up to as well. That's, that's interesting because my strategy for tweeting is to say something really stupid and then smart people who know stuff will think, huh, that's incredibly stupid. I can't not come in and say something that's smart and insightful. So that's <laughs> what I feel my contribution is. Well, may, well maybe I need to reevaluate things a little bit then. But <laughs> 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 no, it's been great. It, you know, it's wonderful to talk with both of you today and, and thanks for having me on. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, so I'll start with a very general question. Um, do you guys currently have any issues in your partnerships with product owners, whether they are process issues, operational issues, or politics, culture issues, authority issues? So whatever you feel that you are struggling with, uh, feel free to uh, share and we'll discuss that. Um Doug, maybe you go first. Yeah, well, well, my situation is kind of an interesting one. I don't know how much people know about what I do for uh, uh, a living in the UX world, but my job is working as a UX engineer for a company that works in the defense industry. Um, and as a result, a lot of the work that we do is classified, uh, which uh, puts a lot of very interesting constraints on the work that I do. Uh, the biggest one being that I can't uh, since I myself do not have a security clearance, uh, uh, I can't know a lot of the different things that go into some of the decisions uh, and some of the uh, decision-making processes. So the biggest thing for me right now is just uh, not knowing some of those pieces, but also not knowing what I, I don't know. And it means that I'm having to put a lot of trust in uh, my product owners uh, to help guide me through things. It's it's very different, uh, even to a certain extent where I can't see some of the products I'm designing for quite yet. Um, so it's also a challenge too. Um, I've been working the last couple of weeks on a, on a project for a product that uh, uh, the product itself is not classified, but we don't have an unclassified server that we can run it on. Um, so that means I'm kind of working off of screenshots. I can't go in and kind of borrow patterns and anything like that. So it's been 
been a little bit frustrating. So I'm having to put a lot of trust in the people around me to give me good information and help me find the information and uh, and resources that I need, which is very, very different from how I'm used to going about things. Uh, so it's a, it's a change in mindset for me. Uh, it's kind of the biggest thing I'm running into at the moment. Hmm, interesting. Okay, I have a follow-up question, but let's uh, listen to uh, Pavel's uh, version. Sure. So my position is also a little bit interesting, not quite so interesting that, you know, it's not one of those spy things, but, <laughs> you know, I joined Bloomberg as a UX designer and, you know, over the years, my role has pivoted a little bit here and there to the point that I'm not really a UX designer, quote unquote, officially, that is, you know, I don't have the organizational mandate because there's another guy who said, you know, his title is UX designer. And I'm not really a product manager either because there is another person whose title is product manager who manages the engineering teams. And there's multiple teams because I think everyone who works in enterprise knows this, that you can't really work with just one team to get things done because every team depends on a service and every service depends on a database and every single one of those things has a different product manager who gets requests from many, many different people down the line to fix all the things that are wrong with what they consider to be really good software. So my problem ultimately revolves around that, where you need to align a ton of people on a decision and most people don't understand what design actually is, which I think is the problem that a lot of people have. So do you work with any product owners or you are a product owner and UX designer in one person? So that's the difficult question is I'm, who, who sort, runs of, this I'm team? sort of a product owner, but I'm also sort of a designer. So it, um, I don't think it sounds like you get the it. you get the problems of both worlds then and, and not not necessarily a whole lot of the benefits. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, <laughs> one of the one of the benefits is that there's someone who ends up being responsible for, you know, doing the actual screen designs that they put in, you know, attached to the Jira ticket. And to be fair, and with no disrespect to the wonderful visual designers out there who do a really good job of this stuff and enjoy it. That's the part that I like the least. So <laughs> I don't mind that too much. And it's always great to have another UX to talk to for a long time. You know, I was a UX team of one and I didn't have anyone to, uh, you know, bounce ideas off of and talk about, um, you know, UX user-centered stuff with. But yes, there's certainly a lot of disadvantages to the position that I'm in right now. Well, it sounds like, though, I mean, for me, at least, I was a UX team of one for a long time, too. In the, in the three years that I worked at the company that eventually got bought out by E-Trade, mm -hmm. I, was, uh, I was the only dude doing it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough life, and it's such a big change culturally for yourself when you finally get somebody else that you can work with, bounce ideas off of, and know that uh, you don't have to be good at their strengths, uh, that uh, you can kind of share your strengths and weaknesses and uh, delegate out those tasks as work best for you. So I feel you a bit too with the uh, the visual design side of things. I, I, I try to focus more on on research uh, and and getting good on that end of the spectrum. Uh, although I've been forced to do kind of everything, so I, I, I can certainly commiserate with your struggle there. 
but uh, I recently, uh, you know, I started working this job back in February uh, and uh, working with another great uh, UX designer named Chris Linhart, who is uh, one of the most talented and knowledgeable uh, UX people I've met. And so for me, it's it's a wonderful setup and a great change. Okay. Uh, so, Pyle, just to clarify, uh, do you work with a Scrum team? Do you perform product owners function on the Scrum team, like you manage user stories and write acceptance criteria, or uh, somebody else does that? Uh, I do that, yes. But in addition to my team, I also put stories into many other people's backlogs, and quite often they resent it. <laughs> well, then you are. I'm shocked. Uh, <laughs> but then you are a product owner and a UXer in one person. Interesting. Do you, do you work with uh, any other product owners that you help with uh, some UX designs, or you are strictly limited to that particular role and uh, scope of work? A little bit. Mostly I work with, um, as I mentioned, the folks involved in the infrastructure that we have to leverage. So. Obviously, as someone who works in a user experience capacity, I'm working with the front end, you know, website design. And I'm not saying that that's what UX is, but that's how most companies see it as. So I'm working with the UX. I work a little bit with the, um, the team that designs the API. And then I have to put requests in for the team that runs the onboarding, the team that runs the developer gateway which is for some reason different from the team that defines the api and then a lot of infrastructure teams because the things that we're trying to do right now you can't actually do on an architecture that runs on sftp so it's it's fun there's a lot of people that i have to talk to to make sure that you know the beautiful sketch or figma or whatever prototypes that i've made can actually be built Okay, so, so just another quick question. The reason that you are one person, a UXer, and a product owner in one, is it because they decided not to hire a product owner and just use you, or because usually there is a you know separation. There's a UX, there's product owners. They work together and they you know come up with solutions and designs, and then a uh, product owner takes control of the um, user stories. Is there a reason that uh, in your structure, um, you are kind of, you know, two people in one? Honestly, I'm not sure. When I was hired, the, the job title was user experience designer in data governance. And I have to tell you, I have done very little data governance since I joined because I don't know what happened, but when I started, they said, you run a scrum team now. And I said, that's interesting. Do you know that I don't know how to do that? And they said, that's fine. <laughs> so, you know, me and the team have had um, quite a journey together, uh, an educational journey for, for all of us. I think now I know what I'm doing a little bit. And, okay. and, you know, I, I think it's important, too, to uh, note that sometimes you got to just take those those plunges if somebody's going to give you an opportunity to do something. 
um, and uh, you know learn a skill that you don't necessarily have. I had kind of a similar situation when I was coming up with uh, Nordstrom. I had just got promoted to be a software engineer and was kind of in a wasn't really an intern, but I wasn't really a full member of the team quite yet. It was my first uh, engineering job. So for me, it was a little bit of a, a change. And uh, that was right at the time Nordstrom was moving to an agile process. And our scrum master uh, ended up getting sick for a, an extended period of time. And so they put me in that scrum master role. So I did scrum master stuff for three, four months while I was with Nordstrom and uh, made a big difference in just my ability to understand some of the business side of things and, and how some of the other pieces worked that really benefited me from a uh, user experience perspective down the road, being able to you know, speak the language and, and kind of know what everybody's looking for. Um, and, you know, shying away from those pieces sometimes can uh, uh, mean that you miss out on those opportunities. So sometimes you just got to take the plunge. I've, I've been there too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, one of my favorite quotes from Alan Cooper is he says, user experience is not a design problem. It's a power struggle. And I have to say that being in the role of a product owner actually gives you a lot more control over the user experience than being in the role of a designer. And I felt that a lot at my previous company where a lot of the time I would become aware of a product or a project or a feature after someone put a Jira ticket in and they said, Pavel, could you design this feature for us? <laughs> and so it's already got you know, story points on it, and it's already got the requirements, the user story and everything. And they just asked me to design it. And then pr predictably, I say, well, the problem that you're trying to solve, I think, this feature doesn't really solve. And they say, this is the all the time we have to build this. So just, you know, draw some screens. And when you're, when you have the power of a product owner, I don't want to say when you are a product owner, because titles and roles and responsibilities are different things. But when you have the power, you can just say from the very beginning before, you know, they've even put a Jira ticket in to make the epic, to make the, the story, to make the Jira ticket in, you can say, well, what problem are we solving? Why don't we take a step back? Right. And you, what you described there, uh, as far as the problem of you know, getting an assignment and having that you know, already parsed out as far as what the solution is going to be. And that while we're doing this now, we don't have enough time to go back and do any research or talk to people and figure out whether or not the solution actually addresses the, the need or the goal or the problem. Um, as I think the one that I hear most often from my fellow UXers uh, trying to work through that piece, how do we get uh, our business to give us enough buy-in, to give us enough leeway uh, to say, you know, we need a couple of weeks or a couple of months uh, on these features to do research, to ask the right questions, to find the right people and the right audience. Um, and within an agile process, that's where the, uh, for me at least, the big sticking point is with UX is that it takes more time and requires more forethought than a lot of what agile process really allows for. Um, and I'm not sure that I have really a great solution for that because the, the UX group is always going to want the appropriate amount of time to do the research, which unfortunately just takes time and isn't really an agile piece. So uh, I have three things. So first, uh, Doug, I absolutely agree with you that uh, taking those plunges that uh, Pavel uh, became a product owner. Uh, I mean, sounds like he's a product owner with 
you know, maybe some sharing responsibilities of a UX designer, but this is absolutely great. Um, that's that's how you move. Uh, and uh, speaking of control, uh, yes, you do get uh, a lot more control, uh, but you still depend on the business. So as much as I um, want to control absolutely everything, uh, business still has the final say because, you know, they're the ones who are, you know, sending me the paycheck, right? So uh, they obviously listen to recommendations and I'm trying to be as convincing as possible. But there are some people obviously always who say, you know, we've been working on this for four months. We don't have any more time. I know it's not the user experience may not be the best, but, you know, we're just going to go with that for now. And then we can, you know, put some additional work in another sprint. So those things uh, occasionally happen. They don't happen um, often, but they do. And the um, thing number three, it, it, it resonated like it was a, a, a sudden red flag for me when I heard when you said, um, here's a user story. It's already story pointed. Please design uh, the visuals. I like my Scrum team. They will never, ever even start refining, let alone assigning uh, user uh, story points to something that they don't have designs for. Uh, I, I don't know how that this is possible without, you know, designing every single screen, you, you, don't, you don't understand the full complexity of the solution, the, the whole scope, the whole uh, scale, right? So this uh, kind of caught my attention right away. I mean, how can you <laughs> story point something without um, visuals? Right. And I, I think you can understand from a technical perspective what the work required uh, might might be if you're going with that solution. And, and my part isn't so much that you don't have the visuals. Um, the, the visuals are, are secondary to are we answering the right problem? And when I hear that refrain of we're getting the assignment, we already have it, you know, already story pointed out, we already know what we're going to do, we just need a design, um, that says to me that you're not getting uh, the research done at the right stage, you're not getting UX involved early enough in your process, that you need to push that framework out further down the road, I think further ahead as far as the, the products and features that you're going to be working on. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, this is something that I hear over and over again around the design community. People say, you know, should I go to this company uh, that I'm going to be the first designer, I'm going to get to set the process. And my first question is always, do you have enough bandwidth to pay attention to everything that happens? Because unless you join the process right as it happens at the very start and you make sure to prevent early solutioning, then that process is going to run away. And in the end, they're going to ask you to design the user story. I ran a poll recently that asked designers, you know, what do you think your primary impact is at work? And the two things that you would think of as design artifacts, uh, the actual graphics or the behaviors of the system actually got the lowest votes. The highest vote was driving alignment of value and making sure that everyone agrees on what we're doing and why it's valuable. And conventionally, you'd think that's the responsibility of the product owner. And I think that most product owners don't realize or don't have the bandwidth themselves to actually drive this alignment. They just go with, 
here's a safe solution. We know this is safe. We've done this before. Let's just do this again. And that's why they point things early and they expect that the design is going to be the same. And when the designer comes in and says, oh, but actually, for the problem you're trying to solve, why did you stop thinking there? Why didn't you push it further? Why didn't you think about these use cases? Then they say, oh, we don't have time. Right. And that's, and that's the biggest problem I have with Agile process is this artificial constraint of time. Um, because it really is, uh, in most cases, a, a deadline that uh, development shops put on themselves. Um, you know, we are a little bit different in that we have a government contract that expects us to deliver certain pieces on certain times. But usually even with us, you know, if we can say, you know, this is the progress that we're making, you know, we're, we're taking a little bit of extra time to make sure that we get, you know, X, Y, and Z piece right, we still have that flexibility. And to live within a framework that has a, a artificial time constraints on it, it doesn't do anybody any good, doesn't do your developers any good, doesn't do especially your UX and, and research and, and product uh, team any good. Um, and it's one of those reasons why I'm thinking a couple of things is that if UX is going to be a member of the development community long term, we need to rethink Agile to include uh, the, the UX contribution to it. And we also, we, we need to stop spending our time explaining our value uh, and, and spend more of our time doing what we do well. Um, it's, it's a shame, I think, that UXers spend so much of their time just proving that they should have a job, essentially, you know, it's, that, that what we do is important and has value. Um, and when really what we should be doing is, is focusing on using our skills to make our product better. Uh, and instead, we're almost apologizing for being there. And, and I think that needs to stop. That needs to go away. Yeah. Um, but I, I will say, you know, to kind of end my rant on that, that that comes with people vetting companies that they're interviewing with and, and trying to see not only are they a good fit for the company, but is the company a good fit for them and for UX? Are they at a stage of uh, readiness where in a stage of maturity where they can actually use a UX professional and actually have that buy in before you know somebody goes in uh, and, and tries to take up that role? So this uh, kind of triggers an interesting question in my head. Um, how do you guys see a UX designer position in five years, uh, given all the current market trends, dynamics? Um, I don't know, you know, what's the uh, relationship between supply and demand uh, for uh, UX skills on the market? Uh, and just like, you know, um, Jared Spool says everybody is a designer, right? So, um, what what do you feel in five years? Um, how the role is gonna be? Is it gonna be the same as today, or is it gonna be more powerful, or it potentially can become uh, weaker? Uh, I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there for discussion. I feel like there's a almost a divergence happening between. The designers that are more aimed towards uh, front-end development, you know, the designers that people say designers should code, they say yes, of course, and they go and they become, you know, React wizards and CSS masters, and they do incredible, amazing UIs. And then designers that say, well, no, I think the most important thing is figuring out how do we actually get this to the user, you know, because we can't have a user experience if a user never experiences it. And they're the ones that go and work more with the business and with the product owners to make sure that things actually are aligned 
both on the development front and on the uh, support staff front and on the salespeople front to get things released and supported at the time of release so they're successful, which I think works very well with the trend that I've seen where at least enterprise-facing companies don't really have front-end developers. They have back-end developers that you know drew the short straw and <laughs> they were told, you're doing the, the front-end now. And to be honest, as someone who has a decent amount, but not, you know, an amazing amount of uh, front-end development skills, I feel like most designers who have coding skills are better than most developers at front-end. So I think that the people who want, really want to do that are going to pivot in that direction, and they're going to do that, and they're going to kick ass at it. And I think that the people who don't want to do that are going to go towards the business and they're the ones who are going to be fighting for you know design ethics and the triple bottom line and all of those wonderful things that um you know the field is really trying to uh, to get off the ground and there's a lot of think pieces but there's not so much at least it feels like from outside these companies they're not as not as much impact as perhaps we would like to have yeah, and I'd say, too, I think that the roles are going to become a lot more specialized um, and a lot more professional. Um, we're at a stage right now where the, the barrier to entry is low, but it's it's getting higher and it's getting noticeably higher, uh, even within the last year or so. And I, I, I think that the role of the generalist is going to go away as uh, UX and design teams become bigger. And the expectation is that you will have a specialized skill set. You know, you won't have just a, a UX engineer role. You'll have UX researchers and, and UX designers and interaction designers and all the other wonderful you know, UX copywriters and all those other wonderful skill sets become not a, a curiosity, which it seems like when you look at job boards today that they, they sometimes can be, but to be the, the regular and the norm. And then even with that, specialization within industries as well. So, you know, are you a UX copywriter for uh, the journalism space? Or are you a UX copywriter uh, who does e-commerce? Um, what's your specialty at? And I think we're going to see more and more of that specialization, uh, which benefits people because it, it can give you focus. Um, and, and if you're going to, uh, to start down a path of, uh, you know, getting into the UX world now, um, it's time to to think about what those different specialties out there might be to do some exploration and really start to focus on um, where you want to be in five years. That's for sure. I think that's actually a very positive development just because now there's multiple titles. Before, companies might say, oh, McKinsey wrote the report, right, that design is good now, so we need to hire a designer. But now they'll say, well, we need to hire a designer, we need to hire a researcher, a copywriter, design ops, and so forth. So you kind of get the idea across to people outside of the design world that there's more than one role just by having titles. Right, absolutely. And you know, I think the danger that we have with that on the other side of things is that we need to continue to show that the investment that business makes in us is, is worth the return that they get. Um, and that's always kind of a, a nebulous piece with UX is, is justifying the return on investment and something that's a little bit more difficult uh, depending upon uh, where you're working, what space you're in, and, and kind of the me metrics that you measure. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see because if the return on investment isn't there and, you know, we get the specialization, then that could become problematic uh, for the UX and design world in general. You know, it could very well 
see maybe a, a you know less enthusiasm on it and, and a, a tighter job market for applicants out there. Yeah, I think I agree with you guys. And uh, I think overall the world is moving in this direction where specialization becomes more and more valuable and uh, people, uh, I mean, it's, it's good to be a generalist and know a lot of stuff about everything, but uh, um, the, the market just commands uh, narrow uh, skill sets and specializations. I mean, you can take developers or engineers and at Google, uh, a search engineer will be different from, you know, Android developer, right? Uh, and uh, I think UX uh, designer role probably falls into that category. Um, and even career-wise, I mean, I, I've never worked as a dedicated uh, UX designer. I've always been kind of like, you know, doing that work unofficially while uh, performing some other role. But... Um, I, I think that uh, if somebody loves design, right, uh, loves designing interfacing and uh, flows and everything, I think there's still going to be a point in time where the the person needs to uh, pivot somewhere, uh, unless you know you are so passionate about that that you can do exact same thing for you know 20 years, right? Which I, I don't know, maybe. Um, it's, it's possible uh, to do UX design for 20 years. Uh, but at, at some point, maybe you become like a consultant, right? Like Jared Spool or other, uh, you know, famous consultants we know. So you actually stop drawing the visuals uh, as a day-to-day job. And then you move into, uh, like Pavel said, into uh, working closer with the business and actually uh, architecting business solutions with some UX input, or uh, you do that consulting or um, s- something else. But uh, th- th- those are just my thoughts. As I said, I've never worked as, uh, you know, the real UX designer, uh, but I think it uh, might fall into that category where you kind of start, you love to design, you learn some tools, you work for a few years, you learn the company, you understand what you're passionate about, you, you change, the world changes. And then you kind of start pivoting uh, outside of the uh, traditional UX design role. Um, so uh, I don't know. Yeah. One of the nice things I think about our field is that everyone's afraid, you know, in other jobs, oh, AI is going to come and take uh, our jobs away. You know, you're going to fulfill the function these people do with some kind of AI. And I think that, first of all, as people in the tech space, we know just how overhyped that is, but also, you know, as AI does develop, I think that the thing we do is so fundamentally creative and requires a deep understanding of how people act beyond just A-B testing for, you know, whatever gets you the best metrics that you've put in, that while design tools will very likely start to incorporate AI-enhanced functionality, it's always going to be about how do we draw the picture that makes the interface work better? And it's never going to be about how do we serve the user's needs better because a robot is not going to be able to understand it. Right. Yeah, I think that's the key is that the needs are going to change so much between person to person. There's only so much that you can do with the raw analytics. Um, and, and at some point in time, you, you have to have that 
that personal presence. And I don't think that's that's ever going to go away. So certainly, I think our job absolutely will change with uh, you know the advent of more AI-friendly technology uh, in, in within the design space. But uh, this is one of those careers that I see as being uh, a bit more future-proof than some of the other ones in techs. Okay. Well, on this positive note, I think um, <laughs> we can uh, probably wrap that up. Uh, as I uh, mentioned, we'll try to keep it short and sweet this time, not go over uh, you know 45 minutes or an hour. And uh, so hopefully uh, our listeners, they uh, enjoy that 30-minute uh, uh, episode from us. Um, any last comments, guys, before we uh, call it a day? Uh, just, you know, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate being here, Pavel. It's, it's uh, great to get a chance to talk with you, and, and hopefully I'll be able to uh, to talk with you a little bit more down the road. Uh, you know, I think I have uh, a lot to learn from you and, and uh, really enjoy your insights. So, you know, as, as well as thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here too, Pavel. Yeah, I mean, uh, same. It's great to finally talk to you, Vitalik. Thank you for having me on. I think in general... I'm glad we're leaving this podcast on a much more positive note, you know, given the, the topic of uh, product manager, product owner, um, designer relations, it could have gone much more towards the, uh, the complaining side of things, but <laughs> right. I think, but, but we you know, pivoted. exactly. Yes. So yeah, I'm, uh, I think it was, uh, it was a good chat and I'm looking forward to having more of these conversations with you guys. Yeah, the, the, the three-way conversation is uh, really, really uh, enjoyable. So I'll uh, I'll come up with some more constructive uh, topics um, from which we cannot pivot that easily. <laughs> so uh, I'll, uh, I'll do my best to uh, name this episode uh, in the most appropriate way uh, <laughs> with the pivot in mind. So, but yeah, thank you guys. And uh, I'll... Uh, I'll think about uh, some future discussions that we might have. Uh, we will discuss that on Twitter anyway. So uh, thank you so much. And thank you, uh, everybody who was uh, listening. And uh, I'll try to uh, produce an episode more often than once every uh, six months. Uh, thank you guys for joining. And uh, let's call it a day. Have a, have a great day, everybody. <laughs>